We're here with Deanna Hart. Deanna, welcome to Online for Authors. Hi, nice to be here. I offered featured guest interviews and you jumped right on that. Oh yeah. (laughs) I love, yeah, I I, I love networking. I love talking to people. So yeah, this is my third one. Getting more comfortable all the time. (laughs) Your third interview. Yes. Ever. Yes. Wow. My first one was audio only. So I didn't have to, you know, worry about is my makeup looking weird or any of that. So and and it it's funny because I've always shied away from having my picture taken. I have decent pictures and I have recent pictures, but I have no decent recent pictures. If anybody picks up a paperback of mine, you will not see this on the back cover. I do not put a, a photo on the back cover of my stuff because I'm just like, eek, I don't want that out in the world. <laughs> I, I actually write mystery thriller and romance. Deanna Hart is also known by the pen name of DF Hart. She also writes under the pen name of Faith Heart. So two different genres, two different pen names. When she'd opted to give in to the call of writing, using her initials felt natural, like breathing. You know, we're doing this interview in... uh, your your name Deanna Hart which is not your pen name Uh, um my as you said my my first name is Deanna and I've never found it to be very mysterious or suspenseful so um I thought well DF Hart that's kind of pithy that's kind of catchy you know so I went with that for for thriller genre and my middle name is Faith and I thought well Faith Hart that's kind of you know, that's kind of spot on for a romance book. So I'll just, I'll use that, you know? So, yeah. yeah. She says, I'd always intended to be in this career, a college professor somewhere teaching and writing fiction in her off times. Life had a sense of humor. Before she realized it, she found herself knee deep in a career of accounting, just about as far left brained as you can get from being an author. She went with the flow, obtained her MBA, with accounting concentration to augment what she'd learned in the trenches. She says going on her 25th year of crunching numbers, she likes it and she's good at it, but it's never going to be her passion. Yeah, the, so. How have you embraced the virtual here recently? You know, it's, it's a little bit interesting for me. I actually completed my master's degree completely online because I was, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I, have, I actually have a full-time day job. I'm, a, I'm an accountant by trade. So the book stuff is happening in my, in my, in my not Monday through Friday, eight to five hours. I was already pretty comfortable with the idea of being on you know, Zoom meetings and and doing classwork online and things like that. So yeah. at my day job, we're actually considered essential workers. We're considered a, an essential industry. So my day job actually has not changed that much. I still go into the office every day. You know, half of our office staff is remoting in. And there's there are on occasion I work from home, but for the most part, I'm probably one of the very few who can say that, that my schedule actually really wasn't that impacted by the, the COVID craziness. In 2009, the the pull to write became overwhelming. Why write? Everybody's going to think I'm crazy, but um, when I write, I actually can see the scene of what I'm writing in my head. And those scenes have got to go somewhere because I'm finding that as I'm getting older, I'm running out of memory storage space, you know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, and the problem's actually been a little bit exacerbated now that I'm writing in two different genres because I've got romance characters in my head that want to go over and talk to the mystery thriller people. And I'm like, everybody back to your corners. This is, this gets complicated enough as it is. Right. <laughs> and everybody's pushing to come to the forefront. So I am basically, I'm, I'm scooping up those scenes and those the, that dialogue and those character movements that I, that I'm are run, constantly running through my head in the background. I'm not. I, I I almost feel like I'm not 
it's more not that I'm creating that stuff. I'm just capturing it. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's got because to go it, somewhere. It's got to come out of there. It, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and it, because it never stops and it never goes away. And I, I've got times where I'll wake up at three in the morning and I'm like, there's that line. I was looking for a way to say what this guy's trying to tell me to, and get it on paper. And I know that makes me sound like a complete flute loop. And I, but that's, but that's honestly what it is as I'm writing, you know, I can see Bella, you know, ducking the empty coffee can that Nathan's thrown because he's he's just mad at the world today. And, you know, um, I, I see that stuff in my head. It plays like a movie. Mm-hmm. So, and by the same token, once that movie gets rolling, it's very hard to stop it until I get it out on the paper. Elementary, junior high and high school. Uh, did, was this happening to you as well? Back then it was songs and poetry. Ah, yeah, I'd be right in the middle of trying to get math homework done and I'd have to stop and grab a notepad and bang out this poem that just popped into my head. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been very grateful for that um, because there for a while, um, especially when I was in my, my, as I approached 40, before I wrote, got the first book out of my head and on the paper, um, there were some some things that, that hit my world that really crumpled my self-confidence and that ability went away for a while. So I was very pleased to see it come back, even though it can be crazy making. And even though it makes me sound like a complete lunatic, you're not the first person to say it won't leave me alone until I get it out of my head. She had the plot idea for wall of secrets since 1989, but until she approached her 40th birthday, she'd been too timid to get it out of her brain and onto paper. When she finally decided that she'd wasted enough time, if nothing else, ever came of it, at least she would walk that fire path and put the story out into the world. And The Wall Came Down was the original title. I actually had the idea for what is now the prequel to the Vital Secret series, my thriller series back in 1989. I was a freshman in college and I was watching all the wonderful um, television footage that was coming out of Berlin when the Berlin Wall was being dismantled and, you know, the, the, the initial flashpoint, I guess, of the reunification of, of Germany as a country after at, uh, over two decades of, of being separate, physically separated from one another by, you know, uh, walls and wires. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how cool would it be if somebody had like stuck a Nazi document in the wall for safekeeping and then went and got it when it, when the, when the wall came down and then came to America. So that kind of this weird mix of, it had a little bit of, of several genres in it. I know what I was doing back then. I have a little bit better handle on it now, <laughs> but that first book was a, was just a mixed bag of, um, yeah, historical fiction and suspense and a little bit of romance thrown in there. And just, you know, I got it out of my head and on the paper and the finally, I started writing it in 2009 and because it was set in 1961 Berlin to start the book, I actually did a year's worth of research on post-World War II Germany to make sure that when I have my character walking down a certain street, that that was actually the name of the street at the time. So there was a lot of detail and a lot of research, you know, backstory that went into building that first book. Don't know Absolutely. who your audience is until you're clear on your story. And I think that was a lot of it because... Mm-hmm. When I, when I wrote the, and released the first book back in 2010, it, you know, it was like, well, I got it out of my head. Well, what am I going to do with it? Well, I guess I'll publish it. You know, mm-hmm. I actually had written that story and I had never intended, I, I didn't ever start off intending to share that story with the world. It's just the way it wound up happening. So um, back then, and you, and it's, 
it was in that book in its original configuration, you could see that I was all over the map with that thing. So, but you know, a decade later, two decades later, I've, I've, I've managed to dial it in. <laughs> so <laughs> you got the frequency. I got the, I dialed in the frequency and, and it seems to resonate with people. The series seems to resonate with people. By 2018, she'd felt that she told a good first story back then, a unique one, a gripping one, but it seemed a shame to end it. So she picked up the loose threads she deliberately left at the wall's conclusion 10 years prior and started weaving a sequel, retitling book one along the way. And The Wall Came Down became Wall of Secrets, the prequel to the Vital Secrets series. And the book after Book Keepers morphed into Book of Secrets. Um, Wall of Secrets is the book that had from Berlin through present day. And I actually moved that to be the prequel of the series and, you know, took it down out of, out of active sale because it was funneling my readers more toward historical thriller. And that was the only book in the set that was historical thriller. All the rest of them were modern day. You know, if you, if you get through the end of book of secrets and you say, well, who was this guy and why did he hate this other guy so much? Well, now you can go, if you sign up for my newsletter, you get the backstory and you find out who this guy is and why he hated this other guy so much. And the, some of the things that, that happened that caused Bella to have such a, a strong, tight relationship with her grandfather. You were writing in multiple genres and, and making that book a prequel and then actually defining a genre is, is like, it's a great move when you're learning as a writer. So I, I think some of the tips that other writers could probably benefit from would be in learning like kind of how you made that tr transition and how you decided that that could that through that transition you could create what we call a lead magnet and right. create a funnel and put it in your newsletter as a freebie to introduce people to the rest of the series and actually have the series evolve off of a very well researched piece into something that's very much escapable and everyday individual reader where they can follow a series through. The big flash of inspiration moment for me was looking back and going back and looking at the hard data, promo spend and, and seeing that when, when Wall of Secrets was the, the lead off in the series that was available for purchase, my, my read through from book one to book two, Book of Secrets was abysmal. It was horrible. Um, but, but from books, from book of secrets to list of secrets, the, the percentage of read through improved a little over double from book two to book three, and then from book three to book four, it stayed consistent. So I was able to identify the trend and see that having the one that goes back all the way back to 1961 Berlin as my kickoff in this series is kind of a millstone right now. It's, it's because people are reading that one. And if they're not into historical thrillers, then they see no point in continuing with the series and rightfully so because all the rest of those are not historical thrillers so it was going back and looking at from march 2019 to about Mar may or june of 2020 and looking at that year's worth of sales data and going okay i see where the problem is so that's when i opted to make that change 2019 also brought with it a unique opportunity to truly go indie. And she sees the chance. She hasn't looked back. And I made the mistake of going with a Vanity Press. I didn't know what that was at the time. Vanity Press is a company that you pay to publish your work. 
then, not knowing what I didn't know. I didn't understand that that was not a good thing. Somebody who's going to publish your work on your behalf uh, really should be paying you, not the other way around. So vanity presses make their money on the authors. They don't promote the book. They don't market the book unless you pay extra for a marketing package. It gets very expensive very quickly. And although the quality, the end result can be a really pretty paperback book, it doesn't go anywhere or do anything. They don't leverage it on your behalf. Traditional publishing is a lot more competitive to get into. And when you sign with a traditional publisher, you actually, they pay you, not the other way around. And they put forth the, the effort to help market your book and help get the word out about it. You, if you were a larger name, you got a large sum of money up front to be able to um, write for a year. And then you have to turn over this manuscript and then they edit and publish you. And then they also created um, what's called a book tour. Right. Yep. So that, you know, they would have locations set up for you and, a, and to tap into your audience. Now, some of that is that they have an audience for you already. Right. Because they've already published somebody in your genre that might be interested in reading your book. Next, we have self-publishing. Right. Which is, quite frankly, it's a lot cheaper than going through a vanity press. And one of the other things about going through a vanity press is that you don't retain the rights to your work while you're with the vanity press and you also cannot make changes very quickly um right. if you see something that needs to be fixed in your manuscript with self-pub you can fix it yourself and you can re-upload the, the new document across all your storefronts and carry on with your day and it takes about 48 hours before the, the storefronts are updated with a vanity press you have to give them your changes you have to wait for them to make the changes you, they also don't actively put your books wide what I mean by why is it's available on more places than just on Amazon. And the one that I was with did not actively participate in getting my books to those readers around the globe that don't, that where Amazon is not a big player in their particular market. Right. So when you're self-pub, you have the ability to go with everybody, which increases your chances of readership. I actually have a couple of books that actually have been read in Malaysia. I'll never get to go to Malaysia, but I think it's cool that my work has been there now. The advent of the third title in the Vital Secrets series, List of Secrets, firmly set the path for an ensemble cast of characters whose lives develop and grow throughout the series while battling bad guys and catching killers. It'll be 12 books in April that are out. The Vital Secret series has got four books out. The fifth one comes out in April. Okay. The Vital Secret series is about FBI profiler Nathan Thomas and his team. And by team, I'm including friends and family into that, as well as his coworkers, who... Um, run the gamut of life. I mean, they're, they're trying to make the world a better place and stop bad people. And at the same time, they've got all these personal interpersonal dynamics outside the scope of their work that are impacting directly impacting positively or negatively, sometimes their ability to, to do that work. And then I've got seven romance novellas that I write as Faith Heart. What actually got me writing romance, which I didn't start until spring of 2020, was I had a supplemental character in my book list of secrets, and I just put her through a really bad time. I, I, I really picked on Maddie a lot, and I felt very, I felt sorry for her, and I wanted her to have her own happy ever after. The another another tri novellas on the romance side. Every single one of those is, and they take a little bit different journey as far as subgenre, because romance is very, you say romance, that covers a lot, you know. So yeah. they're contemporary romance, a couple of them are romantic suspense, but in a nutshell, the another tri novellas are people, um, some of whom have been severely burned 
before in relationships, finally finding and, and getting that happily ever after that they deserve. As a writer, do you have a routine that you like to follow? I try my best to write every day. I'm not as disciplined about that as I should be. Um, I'd probably be a lot further along in, in, in the three books that I've got planned to come out this year if I were more disciplined than I am. But uh, typically during the week, I, I try to get um, a thousand words a night. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It depends on what's going on. And then weekends, uh, my poor long-suffering husband, he, he knows when I'm, when I'm, when I've got a, a deadline I'm writing on, I, I, he probably, he really doesn't see me a whole lot on a weekend. I spend quite a bit of time in this room that you're, that you're seeing behind me. Um, but um, I'm one of those that I like to check my, my numbers every day on the business side of it. Um, and it's just, it's just the way I'm wired. So I, I, I come in, I get some, you know, I get up, I get something to drink. I come in here on a weekend. I'll check my data first and um, kind of track along and see how my, my spend versus my income is going and all that. And then I purposely turn off one monitor. So I just have the other monitor to focus on and pull up the, pull up one, one of the manuscripts and get going. So what do you use to check your numbers? There is a brand new one that just came out called um, Scribe. Scribe Choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually, um, I, and I know they're, they're going, they're working out a lot of, of little bugs and, and twitches and things, but so far I really, really like it. Among other things, it does not involve you having to hand over your passwords to the storefronts, which is, which is awesome. And it also updates every 15 minutes in real time for the for those storefronts that are that have real time available reporting available, so right. Zon and Kobo it'll refresh every fifteen minutes, right? So you can see it a glance, and it's got this really pretty sunburst chart, wheel chart, a whole bunch of other functionality. So far, I really really like it. Us accountants don't get to play with colorful charts very often, so when right. we do, we're just like you know, like last night I was like I so need to be writing, but I just I cannot stop playing with this thing. It's awesome. <laughs> I saw that you know? post. <laughs> I, I can't. It was like a. I felt like a like a. Like a rat with a hit in the feeder pallet and an experiment. Oh, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, I love this thing. Look, look you at got a, you got a, you, You're getting all your doses of dopamine there. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Before that, and, and I've always been an Excel person. I use Excel spreadsheets on a daily at my day job. So building pie charts and stuff from that, it's, it's, I, I do it all the time. So before this, I was uh, using Book Report, but Book Report only tracks Amazon. They don't track anybody else. Right. And so I was pulling everything into an Excel. I was popping the book report, which was for the most part accurate. There's a lag between what it shows and and what Amazon shows as far as from a win and payment hits standpoint Mm -hmm. or when a sale completes all the way. And if you go through a distributor like I do to get to Barnes and, and Noble and Apple, you know, there's, there's another automatic delay in the reporting process because Apple and Barnes and Noble are not going to send their numbers over to draft a digital, but once a day. So there's a, a minimum of a 24 hour drag there before draft a digital has your information. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just part and process of, of it. I mean, you're, you're, there's so many moving pieces and there's so many different softwares and systems involved. And along with the, you know, everybody's gone pretty much to that two-factor authentic, you know, authentication to get in now, which is it's it creates a problem with having perpetually live connection to the data. So yeah, always going to be constantly have to tell you I'm not a robot, you know, (laughs) right. I got something, I was in a loop on something. I, I, I don't remember what storefront it was, but it's like, 
it's like click these three show all the parking meters and oh. i did that and it was like click all the taxis and oh. like click all the boats and i'm like oh my god just get, just get me to my page <laughs> you know, know like, yeah yeah it was what like seven you, iterations yeah. before you, i actually was able to get to my numbers <laughs> and what are, you're protecting me from me is that what <laughs> right really yeah but I mean, there's, there's a reason for it. It serves a purpose, but at, at the same time, it's annoying as hell when it's you on the other end of it. Right. But then, you know, you, it swings the other direction, you know, like Barnes and Noble got hacked back in the fall. Yeah. So, you know, if, if me suffering through seven iterations of, you know, click all the things that match what I'm asking you, if that's, if that saves us from, from another round of, of computers Hacks. being down completely, then I'm, you know, I'll, I'll do seven rounds. I'm, you know, lesser of two evils <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i am a great great big huge fan of frederick forsyth and ken follett and um two of, of in my opinion the most brilliant writers on the planet ever mm-hmm. and both of them have very similarly structured you have the prologue to kind of give you a teaser you have the main story and then you have this epilogue typically set at some point in the future from where your your the last sentence of your last chapter ends, but it the epilogue um, in their works, you know, provides a, a closure that is has still not been addressed by the end of that last sentence of that last chapter, mm-hmm. and a lot of times sets up something for going forward. Um, but I absolutely adore their work. Um, I own most, if not all, of uh, everything that Frederick Forsyth has ever written. And um, that's how I, when I first started writing, I was like, oh, well, this is what a book is supposed to look like. It needs an mm. prologue and a really good middle story. And then it needs that epilogue to, you know, kind of put it, tie it with a bow. The majority of them will have an yeah. epilogue, yes. Yeah. And are they, the majority of them, the same length as in chapters and, and words and kind of? Yes. My, my Vital Secret series averages around 81 to 83,000 words. Mm-hmm. And they're the average length of those books is 18 to 22 chapters, give or take. So I don't ever start, I don't ever sit down and say, this book's going to be 87,000 words. I write the right. story first. Right. And then it's like, oh, look, it happens to line up with the rest of them. That's kind of, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. cool. So, well, it's great when you I'm, don't have to pare back half a story. Yeah. And I'm, I am not, um, I'm not a full on plotter there you know there are people that like to plot out every scene or every um mm-hmm. overarching idea and, and they're very detailed and for me being an accountant you think i would be that way mm-hmm. but i'm not um occasionally like with the book i'm working on now i actually do have a list of like this is the main plot and i've got three subplots because i i like to weave my stuff together kind of like a braid mm-hmm. um because I'm dealing with a team in my books that they're law enforcement, but they also have personal lives outside of law enforcement. So yeah. there may be things that happen on the job that impact their home life and vice versa. So I weave those things in and I try my best to make the subplots um, be something that um, either complements the main plot or provides an interesting diversion from the main plot. But they're still, I, I try my best to still all resolve them within that, that set story. But I never, um, I never set out and go, this book's going to have 24 chapters and each chapter is going to be 5,000 words. I'm not that organized. Like I said, as an accountant, you'd think I would be, but yeah, yeah it does, that, that part doesn't carry over when I, when I put the writer hat on. <laughs> so even though they're written in a series, I try my best to avoid cliffhangers. 
I don't, I personally don't care for them as a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one book I read within the past six months or so, and I was, it gripped me from the first page. It held me all the way through. I felt like I was on this awesome roller coaster ride, and mm-hmm. then it just stopped. Almost like the writer got bored and got up and left and, and called it a day on the, you know, and so I'm not a fan of cliffhangers personally. And so I try my best to make sure that, um, that I don't have a, a subplot or, a, or a big twist or whatever that carries over from, from book to book. I want to take the reader on that full journey of, you know, you've got the, the opening scene, you've got the, the slow build, you got dramatic tension and resolution and, oh, this other thing has come up, but it's been resolved. And then, you know, the great big, climatic scene at the end and mm-hmm. right off into the sunset or my version of right off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of, of having a, a, especially a major point like the one in that we're talking about in Book of Secrets. Mm-hmm. I, would, I was never inclined to carry that over forward in the series. I want my books to be a safe place where my readers can come and, and take a break from the dumpster fire that we've all been living since March of last year. Uh, you know, you've had more success in the last couple of months than you've had with the entire 10 years. Yes. Things are um, picking up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Good, to, good to see. It's, it's good stress, but yeah. <laughs> a surge recently in invisibility and um, pre-orders for book five that's coming out in April are, uh, I'm at the, the most amount of pre-orders I've ever had. So, you know, no pressure not to write mm-hmm. a dud. <laughs> so other than that, yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's good stress. We know uh, how important it is to have your, your cover design really, really well matched and your blurb well matched and your book edited and all that wonderful stuff and making sure that you're in the right genre and speaking to the right audience. Right. And we know that there's an audience for everything we do, as long as we understand what our story is. I had booked a console because I was concerned about my romance series because it just wasn't doing what I needed it to do. And so, well, let's take a look at your thriller covers. And I said, well, thrillers are, we can, you know, they'll, they'll take off. <laughs> and, um, but when we drilled down, yeah, my original covers were, were very pretty, but they were not conveying the correct genre. They were not hitting the right marks to draw in the readers that I was writing for. I know that it's difficult sometimes to take any sort of, to field any sort of criticism about your book baby. Been there, totally been there. Um, But at some point you've got to be able to take that, oh, it's my precious aspect off the table because this is a business like any other business. Mm -hmm. And you've got to make sure that your stuff is optimized. And in my case, the covers that I thought were beautiful weren't doing it for me. And, and you, you've got to be able to, to take that creative half off and put your business hat on and say, making this change is what is best for my work. Making this change is going to optimize my wares that I'm trying to sell out in a global marketplace. And you've, you've got to be willing to do that. And that was, that got resolved mid-October and um, October and November were two of my better months revenue wise ever since the beginning of, of my journey. And December was my first four figure month as an author. And I'm on track in January to have another four figure month. Congratulations. So, 
Thank you. But it took, it, it took that stopping being in denial that my stuff was, it was fine the way it was. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And data proves that out. So. Yeah. yeah. It, it cost you some money uh, okay. to have the covers redesigned. In the end, it's paid you back. It really has. Now, there is a lot of people that are going to come at you with advice, a bunch of them. You've got, you know, you, you've got, you do have people out there that they'll write one book in a very niche genre back in 2004 and they hit a bestseller list and now they're selling courses. Be very wary of that. Um, make sure that anybody that you take advice from or that you pay to take a class from, um, you know, they can, they can talk the talk, but are they walking the walk? Mm-hmm. You know, are Take a look at their numbers. Take a look at their popularity ratings. Take a look at how many books they've got out. Um, I would much rather take advice from somebody that's got 50 books out with an average rating of four and a half and they've got thousands and thousands of reviews than I would a person who, like I said, had one book back in 2004 that hit a very niche category. Yeah. So, Or somebody who hit a one-off bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. You know, congratulations on your book, Pub. Thank you. First and foremost, I, I believe 100% that it was revamping my covers that led to the BookBub feature deal because I had applied with that same book all year long, every 30 days, and I didn't get the BookBub feature deal until after the new covers were in place. So that speaks volumes, I think, to how off my previous covers were and how much better my, my new covers are. So, but it exploded my visibility across all platforms. A service for authors that actually puts out emails to their followers of books that um, authors put on sale. So when you did your the submission, you, you have to be approved. They have to approve you. You can submit, like you say, every 30 days, but you have to be approved. You requested American and International. Yes. BookBub is very... The reason it's it's so difficult um, to get one is because they do curate the submissions. BookBub is, they've got a phenomenally huge newsletter group and they've also got it very um, targeted by genre. So for example, um, the Thriller uh, newsletter, which is what my book went out on, has a little over 3 million people signed up as subscribers. Yeah. So obviously that's a huge jump in, in visibility more than pretty much any other marketing tool that we as self-pubbed authors have. But as a result of those lists being so large, the potential target uh, target audiences being so large, BookBub is only gonna show them the books that they believe to be the most um, relevant to or the most interesting for those readers, which is, that's why it's so difficult to land one. And sometimes you, you can, it's best to apply for international and U.S. Sometimes yep. you will just get U.S. and sometimes you will just get an international one. It all depends on what kind of space they've got, how many applications they've had that month for that, or, you know, in that time frame for that genre. Mm-hmm. And um, they keep a very tight pulse on their subscribers and what their subscribers on cl- are clicking on and looking at and buying. Mm-hmm. So they, they are constantly updating their, um, fine-tuning their parameters for any given book bub for any given day but that's why they're so difficult to land. If I had just gotten international, it would have cost me about a little over $200, but because mm-hmm. I got an international and a US one, it was almost $700. But but you got I it made back. that back in the first two I, I made that money back in the first 2 weeks after the book bub ran. Yeah. Because of buy through. You actually 
saw results and you were persistent. So if people are questioning whether or not it's worth putting out the dollars, you're all for do the book bub deal, keep submitting until you get a yes and it's worth yes. the expense. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'll point out is that um, if you, if you have a book bub and if like me, you don't make your, your money back the first you know day or a couple days, don't freak out. Don't freak out because my book, my free book and my book of secrets, the one that you've read, that is the one that was in the book, but feature deal. I had over 55,000 downloads of that book in a week. Okay. Not everybody's going to read quickly. Not, there are some people that will go, oh, look, she's got four other books out and they'll buy all of them at the same time that they download that free one. But a lot of them won't because I don't, they don't know who I am. Right. So you've got to give your audience time to get into that first book and that's when you're going to start to see buy through. I'm seeing buy through of the subsequent books and series. It's been over a month now since my book bub. Have you ever been in a grocery store on a Saturday and you've got this, the lady standing there and she's got samples of cookies, mm -hmm. right? Having a book, of what, what we in the industry call perma free, which is permanently free across right. all retailers. What that does for you is you are giving your potential audience a sample of your work. Mm -hmm. Um, and a free first in series is the same thing. It's what's what marketing folks would consider or call a loss leader. A lot of people are hesitant, are going to be hesitant to pay $2.99 or $3.99 or $4.99 on, on an author with whom they are not familiar, right? right? Because our, our wants are infinite and our budget is, fin is finite. And, you know, I'm, if I have a choice between you know, Sue Smith or a Frederick Forsyth book, I'm going to pick a Frederick Forsyth book because I'm already familiar with that author, right? right. Now, but if Sue Smith has got a compelling cover and a compelling blurb and I take a, a peek at the look inside and I'm like, oh, I kind of like her writing style and that book is free, now I'm willing to take a chance on it because I'm not out anything except for my time. Which is a lot to begin with. I mean, I think this is the thing that people misunderstand a lot is that, and I've, I've gauged this space on my own reading and I'm not a fast reader. And it takes me a good six hours to read a 350 page book. You're asking an individual reader for a good chunk of a day, if not at least an hour a week. And yes. so that's an investment they've already made in you. Right. That you're buying their time by giving it free. Hopefully they do a review. As an author, what do you do to encourage reviews? I have what's called a call to action in the back of each of my books that says one of the very best gifts an author can receive is honest feedback about their work. Mm -hmm. If you are able to take a moment and, and just leave a review about the book you've just read, it would mean the world to me. And then I provide links where they can go and, and do just that. That's for readers. That's, mm -hmm. that's their place to give their opinion. And everybody's entitled to their opinion. That doesn't mean I have to agree with it. But again... That's what reviews are for, is they're giving their opinion of, of the work. It's, and when I get a chance to read, if I, especially if I find an author whose first book grabs me enough that I immediately go buy their, the rest of theirs in that series, I'm going to absolutely tell the world about it because it, it was such a good book for me and it was such a, a good investment of time for me to read that book yeah. that I feel like others need to know about it too. And there's criticism that says, hey, by the way, um, your story rocks and you know more people actually need to read it and i think if you gave up the attachment to this or that that your story would reach more people yep. and exactly so with the with the onset of social media 
and, and you know, there's a lot of, of communications that go back and forth. But the thing is, when we don't have that interpersonal communication, like you and I are doing right now, people lose the benefit of tone and inflection. So somebody can type something and they're coming from a place of, Hey, I love your stuff. I, you know, it's really good. Here's what I think would help it be great. But because you, you don't have that benefit of tone and inflection, all you're seeing is words on the screen. And those, the message is opened up now to being received a hundred different ways by that recipient. Because totally. you don't have that tone and inflection. And so somebody may be trying to be genuinely helpful, but they may, their advice typed out on a screen may be coming across as condescending or snide. Mm-hmm. So you've got that level of, of ambiguity to wade through as well. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, the, um, the private group that we met in and somebody says something there, I, you know, I'm going to take a look at it and go, I know why their presence here exists. And so I'm going to take a look at that more seriously than I am somebody who comments on my personal thread or some other public thread somewhere. The Wide for the Win group, since joining that group, I have learned more about self-pub and marketing. I've actually learned more, almost more in that group than I have in any class I've paid to paid for. Mm-hmm. Because um, the advice that you get in there, some people are a little bit more, more direct than others in mm-hmm. their, in their, um, in their communication style. But I genuinely believe that every single person in that group is, um, if you ask for an, for feedback, you're going to get it. And it may not be what you want to hear, but it's not coming from a negative place or from a condescending place or from a sarcastic place. They're genuinely trying to help you. I know when I make comments, sometimes it's like, I just have like five seconds to just do this. And either that or I don't get to do it at all. And it's right. like, I don't have time to make it all nicey. And it's just here. <laughs> so I dump the, dump the words. Sometimes that comes across a little abrasive. And, but at the same time, it's either contribute or don't. But I had that feeling too, that in that group, I'm, I know it's in the right place and it'll be taken in the right context. If we've got any authors that are listening that are not in the Wide for the Wind group, um, I, would, I, would, I would seriously recommend you know, it's, the group is, is visible you can go in and, and, and ask to, to join. It's a really positive environment, a very, it feels like almost like a family of authors. We support and encourage one another. If somebody's struggling with something, we try our best to, you know, have you, have you considered this? Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at that because of, of everything kind of going on in the world. I'm not on social media hardly at all, but when I am, I'm in wide for the wind group. Yeah. There are one yeah. or two other groups that I, that I go into, but I spend the majority of my time in wide for the win. And that's the group that I've gotten the most benefit out of as an author. I would have done a lot more research. The other thing that I didn't do right. Um, when I started this journey was I was three books out in my thriller series before I even started a newsletter. You know, I, I did a lot of stuff wonky and out of order when I, when I first started this journey. There's not a whole lot of things that I would go back and redo because most of what I went through actually helped me build and improve to go forward. But that's a big one. If I had taken the time to get a newsletter following from the get-go, then I think that even with the covers that weren't right, I think maybe I would have seen more traffic and visibility from the beginning. But as it was, I didn't start a newsletter thing until 20, August of 2019. Lost a lot of time in that regard. 
understand first right off the bat that you're not going to learn everything that there is to know about self-publish. <laughs> There's a lot to learn. It's, it's more than just writing your book and making sure it's the best it can be. There's, you know, there's, you got some people who do pre-launches and some people don't, you've got the, the newsletter thing. And should I have a website or should I not? And you know, what's my, what's my ad spend is any, you know, there, there's so many things other than getting to a point in your manuscript where you're able to write the end. This is not a journey where you just, you learn up to this point and then you're fine to go from that point forward without learning anything else. You got to constantly evolve and change and grow because the, the market is constantly evolving. Genres are constantly evolving. There are new subgenres. Understand that you're never going to know everything you need to know right from the beginning. Be open and willing to grow and learn and change. Take the best steps you can to make the best product you possibly can, because at the end of the day, this isn't a book. It's a product that you're trying to, to market, right? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't let pride and the pursuit of perfection keep you from taking your first step. I love that. That's amazing advice. And I always like to say promote before you publish. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Build your channels. Uh, get out there on social media. Get out there and uh, get in communities and groups and whatnot and talk about what you're doing. Uh, you yeah. don't be afraid to make connections. And then, you know, it, it, one of the worst things I think that I've ever done over the years is not shared what was going on during the time that it was going on and then uh, created conversations and connections based on that because right. they follow you you know yep. and, they, and they follow you throughout all the years yep and and pre-orders are can be a really nice way to start drumming beating the drum about your book ahead of time so that by the time it does get released you've got uh readers here are, are emotionally invested in getting a hold of that book and devouring it, you know, pre-orders can be a, a really, especially if you're a brand new author and you don't have anything out yet, um, that can be a, a really good way to help you lay the foundation to build that base of, you know, super fans that you're going to get. So yeah, your launch team. Yes. Yeah. In other businesses, we call them our raving fans or our, or our inner circle. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's transfers over. Um, but definitely pre-orders. I'm all with you on that. Pre-everything. I'm a pre-everything. <laughs> Pre-launch, pre-pair, pre-plan, pre-order, all that. Um, but at the same time, it's like you're building your your community around uh -huh. your, your story. And that's your, you know, that's your audience. And yeah. it can be done from the minute you ever think about writing. Uh, right yeah. up until maybe you never do publish at the same time you're putting stuff out maybe your little writings are going out in your newsletter you know uh, as you yeah. as you're growing and doing it sharing your research uh, you know right. chances are if you're researching it somebody else out there is interested in it too right you know don't think that you have to come to come into this and and immediately spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars mm -hmm. to get your book out so many of us are on such a tight budget or almost a non-existent budget when we first start. So here's a, a few tips and tricks for, for the, for the new people that are just getting started on the path. It's always better to try to have at least a proofreader read your stuff and make sure it's, it's, it's tight, as tight as it can be. But what happens if you don't have the money for that? Okay. Well, I write, I use Microsoft word for my manuscripts, right? And one of the features that Microsoft word has is the read aloud feature. You can click on review and you click on read aloud and it'll actually read your story back to you. I catch so many typos 
and weird things that I've done because my, my, my fingers move faster than my brain sometimes. <laughs> and so even if you just run it through a, the read aloud a feature on word to help you shore it up. Okay. So that's a low cost or a no cost way to try to help you edit your stuff. Cover designers. Find one that you like that's strong in your genre. Most of them have a lot of pre-made covers that they will personalize for your work. And those tend to be a lot cheaper. You don't have to go spend $1,000 on a custom cover. You know, find a designer whose work you like and who is strong in that genre and ask them about their pre-made covers. That is a lower cost option. Oh my God, I've got to spend $1,000 on a cover. No, you don't. I've never spent $1,000 on one cover. Don't let that hold you back. There are some very low cost ways that you can get started in this story origin completely free that's how you start getting your newsletter followers built up story origin is still in beta testing so there's no yeah. cost book funnel right so. right great tips thank you very much you're welcome well diana i look forward to reading more of your work and more of your journey and i thank you very much for being a featured guest of uh, online for authors for january thank you very much i, I had a lot of fun and thank you so much for having me it's great getting to know you. Thanks, you too. I'll see you in the group.